This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 366. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and today I have a special special guest host with me because, you know, once you're on more than once, Dave, you become, instead of guest, you become guest host. Well, there you go. And folks, if you don't recognize right out the bat, it's uh, Mr. Dave Spaulding. Glad to have him on the podcast again with us. Uh, you know, you extended the op- the offer to me. You said you'd be willing to come on like, anytime, and I took you up on it. So here you are. I, I'm just an old softy. You know me. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about uh, real world ballistics, and we'll, we'll really go over some of the things that Dave's learned through the years, which is a lot. All right. And and he's come prepared. He's got all kinds of notes. He's got a master's thesis. He's got he's got bullets sitting in front of him on the table. Autopsy and you know stuff like that. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to this because instead of talking about theoretical ballistics, we're gonna talk about what Dave has actually seen or what's been reported to him. Like you just said, from autopsies, from uh, from from medical examiners, from other officers and departments that you've caught, uh, talked to through the years. So I'm really looking forward to it, sir. I, I do want to tell the, the viewers and the listeners, though, that I, I I haven't got a whole lot of experience in this. I just started doing it in like 1979. <laughs> so, uh, you know, all the new age wonders out there that I'm sure are going to try to tell me what they know about this. I doubt very seriously they're going to change my mind. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so today's episode, by the way, before we get too far along, uh, honorary sponsor, because he's here with us, is Handgun Combatives. So head on over to handguncombatives.com. Uh, give Dave and his company some love and support. You got a great online store and, of course, your classes, and and uh, which are filling up very fast for 2020. I've already got classes in the fall that are filled up. Yeah. So people are thinking about, they want to enroll. You, you may, you want to consider it. So. Yep. Yep. So hop on it. Handgun, handguncombatives.com. And then also our other sponsor of today's episode is guardian nation. Um, many of you are probably already familiar with that, but you can go to guardiannation.com, Check out that uh, site there learn more about it. And if interested and in you need just a little bit of push over the edge, use a, Special 14-day free trial, and you can get that at concealedcarry.com forward slash 14-day. All right, let's jump into it, Dave. So you broke the internets the other day. Uh, I like to call it that. I mean, this is a very popular post. You had a bunch of, of guys uh, commenting here, sharing their own you know thoughts and input. Uh, about this idea, you, you kind of talked about preferred loads, and you are often asked about, well, Dave, what's your preferred loads? And certainly, if people are asking you that, they're already pretty smart because they know that you know a thing or two about about actual terminal ballistics. So can you kind of – I think a place to start would be to sort of summarize in a nutshell what – you know, give, me, give us like the two or three-sentence summary of – kind of what that was about, and then we'll start breaking it down. I would say around 1979, 1980, um, 
like many young cops, you know, I'm interested in the, in the firearms and all that kind of stuff. And, um, I read conflicting articles, one by Jeff Cooper, the other one by Moss Ayub mm. about terminal ballistics, nine millimeter, 45, all that kind of stuff. And I, and, and it perplexed me a little bit. So I thought, you know what? I should start looking into this myself. So it started out with me just going and talking to the, the local coroner and the coroner's investigators and then the, the ballistician at the, the crime lab. And then I started talking to, you know, police officer who had, who had been in the line of duty. Now, I'd already started talking to to people who had been in gunfights when I was in the academy in 76. So now when I would talk to those people about what they experienced, I would also add in there about the, the bullets and all that kind of stuff. And the more I looked into it, the, the more interested I became right up into the point where I wrote this bad boy right here, my master's thesis on the subject of wound ballistics. Actually, it was entitled The Incapacitation Effectiveness of Police Handgun Ammunition. And this was in February of 1988. My agency allowed me to use letterhead um, to basically reach out and ask for autopsy reports and shooting reports and just anything that related to, you know, what happened, you know, especially with the bullet and, you know, what kind of effect it had. And it turned out to be a big mistake because what you're doing with a, with a thesis is that you're coming to a conclusion and then you're defending it. Well, it was really hard to defend something where I had a particular caliber and a bullet style and it worked great. And then over here, it worked terribly. Mm. So really in the end, it, it, I, I realized that it really wasn't so much about the bullet itself or, you know, the stuff that was in the gun magazines. It was where you shoot the person and how many times you can shoot them. And, and really your viewpoint on it doesn't matter. You have to persuade them and they may not have read the same report you did. So uh, I just continued at it and continued at it. I've got a bunch of bullets here that were taken from autopsies. I've seen my share of autopsies. Uh, God knows I've shot my share of jello and wet undertaker's cotton and duck sealant and everything else along the way. And uh, it, it's just, um, quite frankly, Riley, it's just not as interesting a subject to me as it used to be. Sure. Sure. You know, I'm, I'm kind of worn out on it. And, you know, I, I, I love the new generation of people trying to come up with a conclusion on this. They're not they're not saying or doing anything we didn't say or do 20, 30 years ago. It's just that now we have probably the best combative grade ammunition in history. Yeah. And that's because of uh, several FBI agents died in April of 1986. That's when it all started. Right. Yep. Yep. Uh, so. Well, you just kind of got done saying, you know, how there's not really anything new necessarily being said, uh, but yet we still see a lot of myths perpetuated, you know, in the industry. Uh, even sometimes for some, from some people that might be viewed as knowledgeable or respectable, uh, but uh, especially amongst just the kind of general public, there of course there's all these, you know, internet forums and all these key keyboard commandos and social media and stuff that have, you know, whatever, whatever they think about stuff. But to your point, what, what we think or what we think we know about ammunition ballistics uh, does, is not necessarily what reality actually is. So now you, you outlined a couple of uh, loads and I'm, I'm not going to 
try to spend too much time on this, but there was definitely a common th- you know thread through this, and it's basically gold dot or HST. Now, yeah. I, I wanted to point out that pro- you know some of this could be just that a lot of law enforcement agencies in the last decade or so, and in the case of Gold Dot, for a couple of decades now, it's been around for a while. Uh, it, these have been some pretty, you know, like probably the number one choices in terms of hollow point ammunition used by law enforcement all across the country. And we get a lot of data collected from, or we have the opportunity to at least collect that data from law enforcement involved shootings. So, um, but the fact is, we know a couple of those bullets generally work. The work they work they work the way that they're advertised to work. Right. Well, nothing 100%. Right. N- nothing. Nothing is 100%. But uh, HST and Gold Dot have worked far more than they've failed. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think that's key. And in fact, that's a really great place, to, you know, great, a great thing to highlight in this interview today is that nothing works 100% of the time. No. Right. It does not. Okay. Does so not. when bullets work, quote unquote work, uh, whatever we define that as, I mean, stopping a threat, obviously, but that even, you know, this is a very, mm, you know, every, every threat, every bad guy is a little, you know, they, they could be different from another bad guy, right? You, you got some people, they're going to get shot. They realize they're shot. They give themselves up. You have some people that are going to continue to fight and fight and fight. Um, so, but there's the psychological stop and the physiological stop, right? Now, so when, but when a bullet works, what are maybe some kind of key principles that we see, you know, in, in those situations where they do actually perform the way we want them to? They violate a vital organ. That's what it comes down to. They violate a vital, you know, this right here, I'm going to show you. That's a 25 caliber bullet take from autopsy. Mm. From autopsy. Yep. It worked. The reason it worked is because it went through his eye socket. So, you know, in that particular case, it hit a vital organ. You know, it's Mm. it's not everybody gets wrapped around the axle of expansion and penetration and weight retention and all that. But it it really comes down to how well you shoot and, and where you shoot them at. The finest, most proven thermonuclear plus P plus hollow point isn't going to do any good if it impacts the wall next to their head. Mm. You have got to hit something pretty much necessary. And that's a relatively small area of the body. It's basically the head down the thoracic cavity to just below the sternum. That's where the, the pumping station and the computer are located. And if you don't hit one of those areas, it's probably not a physiological stop. It's probably a psychological stop. The, the guy got shot in the arm. And he, oh, I'm shot. So he goes down. Because if you don't disrupt that computer or that pump, they're going to keep going. And, you know, there's, there's documented cases where, you know, people's heart has been destroyed and the brain is oxygenated enough to keep them going 15, 20, 30 seconds in a, in a murderous rampage. Right. Adrenaline, the, you know, the norepinephrine and epinephrine and cortisol and all that chemical cocktail that crashes together to make that adrenaline dump can peak, can people, people animated for long enough to do a lot of damage. Yeah, absolutely. Well, are you familiar with Tim Grammons, uh, Skokie yep. PD, right? He's I mean, been in one of my classes. Yep, yep. Good dude, and uh, was in a one of those kind of situations where his threat was shot 
a lot of times and several of those fatally. Well, the thing, the, the fact of the matter is, is that the human body is not hard to kill. It can be really tough to stop quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You actually, so kind of in a follow-up to your initial post uh, on Facebook last week, you, you shared another one uh, from Rich Grassi that, I mean, he brings up some interesting points and, and he actually, I'll just kind of highlight three key points. He, he says here that he considers being the top three aspects of defensive ammunition, right? Does the round possess ignition reliability? Meaning does it go bang every time we press the trigger? Does it function in the gun? Does it cycle through, particularly in the case of semi-automatics, like what, what you know are so popular these days? And, and this one's interesting, but it's to your point that you said you could hit the wall right next to their head, but it's not going to do anything. Does the round strike to your sights? Yeah. Basically, what Rich is saying is the bullet's got to leave this, uh, this launching device right here before it can do any of the magic, you know, any of the terminal ballistic magic. And let's face it, there is a lot of really inaccurate ammo out there. Mm. So you know what? Your your carry load should shoot to, uh, to the point of aim. I mean, because if it's, you know, going off to some direction, you know, because it wasn't crimped well or, you know, it's just a poor design bullet, then what good is it? Yep. it it's got to reliably leave the launching device and it's got to travel the path that you intend for it. Yep. Yep, absolutely. So let's let's uh, kind of segue now into uh, calibers. This is this is a you know this is a common thing. It comes up again and again and again. Nine millimeter, forty, forty five, three fifty seven. There's actually a question here from someone on YouTube, the Elite Spot. He asks, "We talking all calibers, nine millimeter, forty and forty five? What's your response to that, Dave?" We talking all calibers. I'm not sure what the question, what it means. I think it, I think I saw his comment pop up. I think around the time you said something about, uh, it, you know, it, something, uh, you know, vital organ is disrupted, violently disrupted, you know, like that's all that matters. And you held up a bullet there of a 25 auto, which those are underwhelming in terms of their like theoretical and actual ballistic performance, but yet. That's an example of one from an autopsy, as you showed, that disrupted a vital organ. Sure. Yeah, yeah, we're we're talking all of them. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, let, let's take a look at you know this this is a forty five. You know that that was taken from autopsy, and everybody mm -hmm. looks at that bullet and they say, "Oh man, look at this second look at hold it up in front of your chest cavity." Pretty small right. compared to the human chest cavity, don't you think? Does anybody really think this is going to have a huge difference over this nine millimeter, which I just dropped on the ground? <laughs> I mean, let, let's face it. it's They're all pretty small. So, you know, you have to place them well. And, and they're, they're, they're weighed in grains, not pounds. So there's not a, there's not a, a, a big bunch of difference between a nine, a 40, a 45, 357 SIG and all that, no matter how much you want them to be. They're, they're small projectiles. They're not very fast. They come out of a short barrel and a short sight radius. And, you know, even if you get a, a nicely expanded bullet, eh, let's pick this one up right here. This is an expanded 45. This happens to be a silver tip. 
Okay. Mm. Fully, fully expanded 70 caliber. Probably look at it. Yeah. Really dude. I mean, still pretty on. small. It's just, it, it, you're, it's a pipe dream. You're, the the idea of a one shot stop with a handgun round is is one of the biggest myths ever. Um, you're probably going to have to shoot that person multiple times, which sounds great when you're standing there on a paper target and you're not moving and it's not moving and you're hammering in this tight group. But all of a sudden now you're bringing your pistol up and they're going back and forth like this and you're going back and forth like this and trying to put multiple rounds into that thoracic cavity now becomes problematic. But you know what? That may be what's required. And because that person's all amped up, they may not realize that, you know, somebody in a magazine article said this 45 was going to turn you into dust. Maybe <laughs> they didn't read that article, so they don't know how to behave, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. It's a handgun, man. It's a handgun. Yep. You know, we carry it because it's portable, not because it's extremely effective. If you want to have as, uh, in my opinion, the highest level of effectiveness in a small arm is a 12 gauge slug. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's, well, and is it get? You, you shared a story with me once about a slug being uh -huh. used on a perp and, uh, sound like it was pretty impressive. <laughs> it looked like it, you know, to the shooter, things look in slow motion, but to the witness, which I was in that particular case, that gravity couldn't have taken control of him any faster. Yeah. Down one. Yep. So, you know, if, if, if instead of worrying about all this handgun stuff, you know, we ought to be having uh, better weapons. Now, let's be honest. We can't walk around with shotguns and rifles and stuff like that. Society isn't going to tolerate it. People are going to get freaked out. So we carry pistols because they're, they're portable, they're concealable, and they are better than hand-to-hand -hand because at least they're a standoff device. But regardless of caliber, they're not extremely effective. Mm -hmm. They're, they're just not. I have not seen them to be extremely effective unless you as the shooter do your job. And, and yeah. that is to basically hold your crap together well enough that you put the gun on target, you control the trigger, and you shoot him well. And that's going to be more a matter of wherewithal, you know, a state of mind uh, to, to stay in there and, and do that than it is what type of bullet or gun you got. Right. And the fact of the matter is, is most of the people that are out there, you know, doing stuff on the Internet have no idea what that's like. So they're imagining, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to be awesome in my gunfight. Maybe not. Yep. Maybe not. Well, and even you know, we, we had Tim Graham. Speaking of Tim Graham's again, uh, you know, we had him on the podcast a while back. And, you know, in that whole incident, he was shooting a 45. Mm -hmm. And I always love to I've pointed people to his article or the article about him in I think on police one for years where I'm like, Oh, your 45 is really hot stuff. Uh, well, you know, here's a, here's a documented incident where he had to shoot this guy quite a few times with a 45 and, and to his credit, you know, what he's put out there, what he's talked about rather extensively is that in that moment, you know, as that is the crap's hitting the fan and things are not going the way he expects it to go or expected it to go, he's realizing, hmm, I only have so much ammunition in my gun. And at some point, if I don't solve this problem now, I'm going to be out. And so basically what I'm hearing from you, Dave, is that whether it's 9mm, 45, it doesn't really matter. There may be other factors that we want to consider as well. 
like yep. capacity, you yep. know, because capacity equals time, it, you know, opportunities, I guess, really, you know, that you can continue to try to put that threat down. And obviously, the sooner the better, the more hits we get on them in meat, you know, in the good meaty bits of the body, the better, you know, sooner, but uh, more rounds, more opportunities if the first, you know, feud uh, fail. If any, any hits better than no hit, any hit on the body anywhere. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, is if you're trying to stop this person quickly, it has to be something vital to your life. Uh, you know, a, a, a round through the femoral artery, you know, with the tourniquet thing, everybody's talking about femoral artery wounds and you're going to bleed out in the next two minutes. Okay. Two minutes is a long time to fight somebody. Yeah. A long time to fight somebody. So what we're trying to talk about is we're trying to stop somebody in a couple of seconds. Really tough to do. Really, really tough to do, especially with a handgun. Um, but, you know, there's there's all kinds of stories about 45 failures. There's stories about 40 failures, 9 millimeter failures, you know, 38 failures. So, I mean, it's it's a it's a bit of a crapshoot. I mean, again, it really, your viewpoint doesn't matter. What you believe doesn't matter. What you're stopping for power formula doesn't matter. It's what they think. And if they don't think you've shot them well enough to stop them, they're going to continue to attack. Mm-hmm. Now, you could probably go like this and ask them to read your magazine article or to watch your YouTube video so they would know how to behave. But they're probably going to tell you no. <laughs> they're probably right. going to tell you no. Again, it comes down to where you hit them and how many times you can hit them. Yep. And that's, yep. that's problematic. Now, there does seem to have... We, we do seem to have arrived at this consensus uh, for the most part in the industry that you don't hear a lot of folks recommending that people carry something less than a nine millimeter or yeah, 380 kind of, you know, that, that comes up here and there. But why do you think we've arrived sort of at that? Like I said, it, I don't know if I would classify as consensus, but it sure seems like it's consensus. Well, my experience, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the 380. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I realize that now we have 380s that were the size of 25s of my generation, 22s and 25s and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Right. Um, I've just, over the years, I've spoken to too many people who were shot with 32s and 25s and 22s that didn't know they were shot. I mean, they were peripheral hits, but they didn't know they were shot. Um, when you get the 38 special and larger People seem to take notice, and we need them to take notice that they've been shot. 380 kind of falls into that marginal ground, and I, I admit that I am not a fan. Um, why should I carry a 380 when I can have a a car nine or a Glock 43 or something that actually is large enough to shoot quickly, but is small enough to conceal even in the lightest clothing? So um, my my thought is. 38 special and larger. I think that's the way to go. And even then, these days with this renaissance of everybody's into the snubby revolver all over again, I I, I carried a snubby revolver uh, off duty back in my day. And I actually got into a situation with a snubby revolver. And you know what? They, they only have five rounds or maybe you got a six rounder. But uh, and they're not real easy to reload. And I I really don't get it. But you know, that's the, that's kind of the thing right now. Everybody's talking snubbies. I'm even going to do a snubby revolver workshop by popular demand. But I, I I'm not a fan. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll, carry a, I'll carry a small pistol. But uh, teach his own, you know, teach his own. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, kind of like you said, you're not a big fan of a 380. Neither am I. Uh, I kind of put the snub nose revolver in that same category. Like they're not ideal. Do they have the purpose? Yeah, they do. You know, and, and they and they conceal generally pretty well. Um, and honestly, I'd rather shoot a snubby 38 than a really you know ultra compact 380. Mm-hmm. And you're shooting you're oh, yeah. shooting something a little bit bigger, a little bit heavier too. Anyway, but uh, but still not ideal, right? When we have so many amazing options these days with small, compact, you know, today's nine millimeters are yesterday's 380s, and today's 380s are yesterday's 25s. I mean, uh, people are, that are advocating the snubby. You, if you actually find out what snubby they're using, it's usually like a K frame where it's, uh, you know, big enough. They can control it quickly because, you know, an air weight J frame mm. is just punishing to shoot. I mean, I'm going to say it. Oh, you, you got to train what that you got to learn to control. No, it's a, it hurts. Uh, come on. It hurts. And if you're dumb enough to put 357 Magnum ammunition in it, like, you know, some models are there. I mean, it, it, it's crazy. My first off duty gun was a security industries PPM police pocket Magnum. It was the first J frame size 357 revolver. I got it in 1977. I put five rounds of 357 ammo through it. Never put 357 ammo in it again, ever. <laughs> Carried 38 special. So, you know, it's um, to each his own. You know, if you're into the snubby and you want to do it, that's great. Uh, it's it's not my my proven choice. Maybe maybe I just don't have that much confidence in my ability to put rounds on target when somebody is shooting at me. But maybe other people have greater confidence in that. So. Well, I I to me a a five shot gun is kind of like a one you know one bad guy sort of you know solution. You start having multiple attackers or a prolonged fight. You're going to go through those five rounds really fast. Back so. in my early days of law enforcement, people used to say, if you can't do it in five, you probably can't do it. Well, you're not going to do it in five because the first two, you're probably going to miss. And then maybe you'll get him on the third and fourth, and then you'll have one round left. But my favorite story, Evan Marshall. You familiar with Evan? Yes. Yeah, he was probably the first person that threw the BS flag on the hatred of the nine millimeter and started saying it's not as bad as everybody thinks. He told me a story one time where he went down to the local carryout and, you know, I forget what he was doing. It was down at the end of his, of his block. And he said, Christ, I'm not going to Beirut. Right? He, he grabbed the five shot snubby, stuck it and went, went down to buy the milk or whatever. Well, he's in there doing it. Two armed robbers come in. Mm. Well, him being a sworn Detroit police officer, he drew his pistol and he fired a couple of rounds at him and going back and forth. And he's got two or three rounds left and he hears one guy sell the other one. Let's get him. Wow. Fortunately, some very heavily armed tactical officers came through the door about that time and saved him. But I mean, how much ammo do you need in a gunfight? I, I, I don't know. I want it belt fed, but you mean, we got to be realistic. So right. I mean, to me, I would, I would rather have more than less, but again, I, I'm not criticizing people. You do what you think's best. <laughs> I like, Brian's comment here: three fifty-seven mag and a J frame looks cool until you chrono it and realize you're shooting loud thirty-eights <laughs> and just beating the crap out of the web of your hand. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's a great observation. Uh, Ken here says something that I see this come up in some groups and in various comments. Got to get the revolver that shoots the mini shotgun shells, and a lot of times referring to the Taurus Judge. Oh, that okay. 
Yeah, you know. So, uh, what's your take on on those shotgun revolvers? <laughs> I, none. I I don't really. I haven't really sure. tried them or anything, so I I can't advise. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, obviously, I, I think most of those are set up to where you can shoot forty five long Colt through them, which is fine. Uh, more like a guide's gun to me than it does something you want to carry around for your personal security. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it, they're they're a lot bigger and heavier and bulkier than. All, you know, there's there are other counterparts, so like, why not? I don't know. Anyway, so uh, you, uh, it seems to me that one of the reasons why tw- you know twenty fives and thirty twos and even three eighties to some extent uh, generally don't get recommended a whole lot is because penetration could be an issue mm-hmm. in all of your autopsy data. I mean, is that kind of does that is that corroborated? Sure. I mean, you know, you heavy clothing, you know, I you know, live in Ohio, you live in Colorado. Heavy clothing can do amazing things to retard the path of a bullet. Um, we had a deputy one time that sh- was shooting at a guy with a 12 gauge shotgun and the guy was moving and, and he was wearing a wet down filled coat and the wet down absorbed all the shotgun pellets. Wow. Yeah. Weird stuff. So, I mean, clothing can do weird things to it. So penetration is an issue. And the idea of over penetration being a concern, I've never wrapped my head around because most people miss. So <laughs> there, there goes penetration. I mean, you know, so I, I, the bullet needs to go deep and that's going to require some mass. It's going to require some weight. And, and, you know, let's just let's look at it. Let's look at this little 25 and let's look at this. 45 if i can get them up here so you can see them i mean there there's quite a bit of difference i mean just in the in the let me see if i can get them up here so your viewers can see them a little bit better i mean i think you can see just from that right there which one do you think is going to go deeper uh so you know you want some weight you want some mass to the to bullet and and again, my feeling is, is that you're talking 38 special and larger. And, and even in the various calibers, I, I will err on the side of the heavier bullets, whether it's a uh, nine, uh, 45, 40, whatever the case may be, I'll, I'll err on the, on the heavier bullet side, five, five, six, you know, I like the 75 and the 77 grain bullets and mm-hmm. that, that kind of stuff. I, I want the heavier and the, the heavier bullet weight to go through a little bit deeper. Yeah. Yep, I think that makes sense. And that's generally what we see is, and I, I think one of the big reasons why, you know, certainly like a, a uh, well, I don't know, like a 75 grain 32 or something has the capability of penetrating plenty, but it's, you know, but if it was moving a lot faster than what they normally do, like, you know, a 55 grain 223 has no problem going through people. Because it's going 3,000 feet. <laughs> There's a little bit right. different between that and a 32. Yep. Yep, exactly. Oh, maybe eight hundred or whatever it may be. Yep. So now we get some some questions here from some folks. In fact, there was a question on YouTube and a question on Facebook that are both pretty similar. Folks asking what your kind of favorite everyday carry gun is, or what what are you typically carrying? Glock nineteen. Uh, the only difference is my Glock nineteen it has a grip reduction because I've got little girly hands. And then you can see I, I have the corners rounded on, just basically a carry bevel package, and I have a smooth trigger on it. And that's it. It's nothing real fancy. Yep. Yep. Gets the job done. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have nothing against the cheese grater guns that folks are putting out nowadays. That's totally up to them. But it just flies in the face of my generation where we tried to remove all sharp edges and round the corners and stuff for greater concealment so it wouldn't snag on clothing and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a simple, straightforward gun. I, want, I believe in what Jeff Cooper said. Got to have a good trigger. It's got to have high visibility sights. It's got to be reliable. And the only thing I would add is it's got to fit. And, and in my particular case, I, I like the grip reduction so I can get my hands on it. Yeah. Well, and, and if you're doing a grip reduction on a polymer frame gun, it, then you're, you're going to end up doing a stipple job anyway, which there's no harm in that. Yeah. I mean, the, you, and then you can get the, the texture that you want because I mean, when you're gripping something, you're creating friction, you're applying inward pressure and that particular texture is going to feel different from one person to the next. So you might as well get what makes you happy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Uh, anything through all of your years of collecting data, uh, with these different, you know, rounds and things, anything that like totally just surprised you, caught you off guard. Do you have any stories to share? Any, any bullets, uh, sitting there on your table that, uh, uh the, probably the, the, the one that got to me the most was probably my most embarrassing incident right after the, uh, the FBI shootout in Miami, they had the wound ballistic symposium. And that's when they came up with the whole idea of the 147 grain bullet. And, you know, basically that was a submachine gun load, but it did penetrate and it was going to be the answer to everything. And Winchester made the original OSM load is what it was called. And I read the FBI report, man. And I thought this was going to be the catch me out. We were using a 115 silver tip. And of course that was the bullet that failed. It didn't fail, but that was the alleged, you know, that's what the FBI told us. And so I lobbied my agency very, very hard to go to that 147. And we did, we changed over the entire department. We got this bullet and then along came our first shooting with it. And the parable between the wound track of the nine millimeter silver tip in the FBI shootout and the shootout that our deputy was, was almost identical. Mm-hmm. What had happened is a guy kidnapped a child and this wasn't this wasn't some domestic uh, squabble. This was a pervert snatching a child off the street. Mm. And our deputy inter- interceded with him in a parking lot. And he comes up on the passenger side of the car and the window is down. The child sitting in the passenger seat and the suspects sitting with his arms up like this on the steering wheel. Well, the deputy sees him getting ready to hit the gas. So he fires one round and it hits the guy right here in the arm. Now, we were led to believe that this bullet would then pass through the arm, go into the chest cavity, penetrate almost like with the FBI thing, right? Yep. It stopped right here in his elbow. Mm. And then the chase was on. They wrecked several cars and all kinds of stuff. They chronographed the rest of the ammunition and the gun uh, at the crime lab. It was going 690 feet per second. <laughs> and this man right here had egg all over his face. Matter of fact, they sent the range guy up to the police supply the next day and got all brand new nine millimeter silver tip and reissued it to everybody. <laughs> oh man. So I, there was a long time getting this guy right here to go along with the 147 grain bullet. But quite frankly, it's, it's one of the better choices now. Yeah, it really yeah. is. But you know, I, I'll never be anybody's Guinea pig again. No, not new guns, new ammunition loads, nothing like that. It's, it's gotta be, you know, street proven before I'm, I'm going to be, uh, giving it kudos. Yeah. So that was probably my biggest one in the, in the, as far as the story on that, as far as ammo goes, 
I think that um, one of the bigger surprises was the fact that the nine millimeter bullet did expand, even though Jeff Cooper said it didn't. I mean, uh, you know, uh, a lot of the writers of the time said called it a half power and all this kind of stuff. And you couldn't count on the bullets to expand. And they really did. I mean, it's, it's not classic expansion like what you would see in the gun magazine. It's more like deformation mm -hmm. so like this one right here. They, they kind of peel back and fall apart. And this, this is the 115 grain silver tip. That's it right there. Um, so it, and it works really well. Let's see if I can get it up here so your viewers can see it. There it is. You can see it. It, it just kind of, it doesn't look like the classic mushroom. It just kind of peels back and deforms. Um, as bullets improved, like the, the black Talon was the first of the high performance penetrating loads. Mm -hmm. And that's that right there. That's the 147 grain black Talon. And as you can see, it looks just like it did in ballistic gelatin. The, the thing actually ended up working really, really well. I did tell Winchester at the time, don't call it black Talon. Oh no, that's not going to be a problem. It was yeah. a problem, but uh, you know, bullets kind of deformed. Now, then, then you got like this 45 silver tip right here that the jacket peeled off, which can affect its penetration. Of course they went in different directions, which the autopsy said was part of the reason for its lethality. Mm -hmm. So that kind of stuff can happen. And then here's some, some 38 bullets that were actually fired out of a snub revolver. This guy shot, maybe I can put him on this thing. This guy shot, uh, he was a paper boy who was being robbed early in the morning. And he had a Smith and Wesson model 10, two inch, if I remember correctly. And he shot the bad guy three times. And as you can see, the three bullets don't look anything alike. They all kind of did their own thing. But all the people out there that said the hydroshock doesn't work, does work, did work. Worked great in 45, which is right here. As you can see, it's not a classic mushroom, but it, it did kind of peel back. The hydroshock worked very, very well. Now, is it a bullet that I would choose now? No, I wouldn't. But it, the hydroshock and the black talon were kind of the beginnings of the ammunition we have now. And then, like I said, we have the best combative grade ammunition ever. I mean, it's it's just it's just super good. Um, one of the things that I really came to like was the all copper hollow points, uh, like the Barnes X bullet. There's just not many shootings with it. But the shootings that I have seen, it has worked just famously. It penetrates like a much heavier bullet. The only problem is it's really expensive, which is, like you said earlier, is probably the reason we're not seeing a, a lot of shootings with it. So um, one of the things that I do like and I think has future, this is an expanding full metal jacket. This is what I call an impact expansion round where it's got a like an elastomer filler in it and it pushes flat with impact. Um, the classic examples now would be like the Hornady Critical Duty or the Gold Dot 2. The, that impact expansion, though we may not be there yet, has some really interesting implications. Think about a bullet that expands based on the duration of the time it's in contact with an object. So it goes through a windshield, which is about this thick, and doesn't really expand all that much, so it continues through and hits a body, and because it's in contact with the body longer, it continues to expand instead of maybe breaking up on the windshield. Um, I think things like that are going to be the future of combative ammunition 
but I, I'm not sure we're there yet. But you never know. There, I know companies like Federal and and Spear are doing a lot of research on that stuff, as as is Hornaday. So um, you know, we may end up someday having a totally reliable expanding load that's truly barrier blind. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, and of course, we're also seeing. In fact, there's a question on YouTube here about the solid copper bullets. Now you talked about a solid copper, but expanding bullet, but we're seeing these, these, uh, solid copper bullets that don't expand. Oh, the uh, Feller ones. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, have you seen any, have you gotten any reports of any, I any seen of those? Any, I haven't seen any things yeah. with that, but things like that have been done in the past. Yeah. Uh, you know, you see these things and they're going through the jello and they're really, turning i mean you got to realize the rate of twist on a bullet is you know as it passes through like say 12 inches tissue it's going to turn about this much so how much those propeller blades are going to work i I don't know i i'll reserve judgment until i see some folks shot with it because ballistic gelatin is a wonderful indicator of potential performance it's not performance Mm -hmm. it's not performance of human beings yep yep but I mean, and, and but to be fair, you know, companies like Federal, you know, have got enough shooting data now with their loads that they have correlated that with their ballistic testing. And Johan Bowden, who works for Federal and is one of the guys that goes out and does a lot of their their ballistic workshops. I mean, this guy may be one of the smartest people I've ever talked to on on bullet performance. And he can talk to you about what's happened in the shootings and the testing and he correlates it very well. So um, 20 years ago, I wouldn't give you a nickel for a ballistic gelatin test. Today, if it's done scientifically, whatever that may be, then I, I pay attention to it. But the stuff that's on the internet, mm, yeah, mm, I, I think I'll go talk to folks at Federal. Yeah, and I'll tell you, we, we talked with, uh, not Johan, but uh, drawing a blank all of a sudden. One of the other engineers over there, and uh, it's I'm I can only imagine the piles and piles and piles of data those guys have gotten, mm-hmm. uh, and they've been very fortunate, you know, winning some of the contracts like they have and getting you know especially things like the HST and so many law enforcement hands. That's just well, and really federal and CCI Spear all you know kind of part of the same family and and, and when you have when you have the gold dot and the HST being used like they are today it's a big advantage I'll tell you talking to those guys I get a sense that they have a pretty good sense of what works generally right it's well, never a guarantee but they have a pretty good idea I've got friends that work at, at, at federal and Spear and and don't think that that you know colors me in any way it does yeah something that came along better, I'd be gone. But, you know, I've had the opportunity to go to all the ammo manufacturers and see all the research. You know, people talk about Golden Saber. Well, I was there when they developed that bullet. And, you know, I've been around a long time. And what I like about Federal, Federal pursues their shooting data. I mean, they go out and talk to the people who have been in gunfights and they go and look at the bullets that are taken from. And they have made a real science of making sure that their bullets work in the most dire of circumstances. And and I appreciate that because I've seen some performance from some other major manufacturers that I'm I'm not real happy with what I'm seeing, and I'm not going to get into that. Hmm. But uh, I I try to keep up with this as best I can. But um, 
uh, I, I just, I, I HST or, or, or gold dot that, I mean, that's just the way to go. There's just yeah. too much data. You know, I, if, if somebody's just a dyed in the wool Remington fan, then I, I'm not going to try to change their mind. I'm just telling you what I know based on decades of looking at this, that those are the, those are the bullets to look at. But again, you know, these, these all copper hollow points and these impact expansion loads, these things have some future mm-hmm. and they're continuing to look at that stuff. And I'm, I'm glad they are because um, uh, we need the best we can get. And they're, and they're, and the companies out there really are trying. Mm-hmm. How about frangible? Well, they're not necessarily, you know, there's, there's the frangible loads that are used in training environments, right? But we're talking the frangible bullets that are intended to fragment. So they're really fragmenting bullets. You mean like laser slugs and mag safe and stuff like that. Well, or like, have you heard of the rip rounds, RIP, um, that, you know, like, they they expand sort of, and then they've got like six or nine different pedals or, they fly or off this way and go right, like, right, right. Yeah, no. We're we're getting a few questions here about. I'm, that. Not, a, I'm not a fan. Yeah, have you no. have you seen any data at all on anything like that? I saw some shootings back with uh, like MagSafe and and Glazer, you know, the, the, those kind of pulverizing type loads, and the problem was again was clothing. Mm. They, they could potentially blow up on clothing and they didn't penetrate deep enough and they didn't have enough math to, to really sink in. I mean, um, you know, if you were, you know, working, you know, the beach in Miami or something like that and everybody's wearing T-shirts and swimwear, when maybe or maybe, uh, you know, you're on an airplane. You know, the early Sky Marshals is what they called them back then uh, that were using 357 revolvers and they could, were concerned about, you know, penetrating the fuselage of the plane and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, those trick bullets can get tricky when it comes to their performance. And I would stand with the conventional stuff that we've seen work time and time again. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and, uh, you know, the other thing, too, that a lot of times some of those are almost marketed in such a way that, hey, here's a defensive round that is somehow safer in a residential environment where if it strikes a wall, it's not going to be as dangerous or whatever. But I don't think that has really shown to be the case at all because it really doesn't take a whole lot to go through a residential wall. They, and the stuff's really expensive. Yeah. And, you know, people are going to be standing there going, well, let's see, a dollar a bullet, 10 cents a bullet. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, a question about Hornady critical duty. Yes. So already critical duty. I've seen, I've seen some good results with it and I've seen some spotty results with it. Um, I think it's got a lot of potential. Again, it's one of the, what I call those impact expansion rounds. You know, it hits the elastomer goes in and, and, and um, you don't get the uh, expansion that you get from like some more classic hollow points, but then we've never really been able to define how much expansion we need. Mm-hmm. So how important is it? I don't know. Um, an answer to your uh, your viewer's question, if you're carrying critical duty, you like it and it shoots well for you, leave it in your gun. Yeah. Yep. I mean, kind of if we start sort of wrapping this up somewhere, we are about 50 minutes in, uh, some summarizing would be at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter too much what you use. I mean, we're, we are talking about some things that clearly do perform a little better, 
uh, are supported by data, and that's important, and, uh-huh. and actual real-world results, right? So generally speaking, though, if we're in that 38 special, 9 millimeter, 40, 45 caliber range, we're doing pretty good. Uh-huh. And most modern hollow-point rounds perform pretty well across those various calibers. If you really care about what seems to perform or the data suggests is some of the best, HST or Gold Dot. That's what I would buy. Uh, you don't need plus P and HST. The HST mm. bullet is designed to expand at slower velocities. If you want a high velocity, go over to the Gold Dot. It's a it's a um, bonded bullet for the higher velocities. But, you know, like getting an HST plus P, it, it not necessary. You're just adding to the recoil impulse. So uh, I wouldn't. Um, nine millimeter, 124, 147. Uh, the 147, I would keep in a four inch barrel or longer. If you've got a little small gun, I would probably use a 124. In a 45, I'd go right to 230. And like got a little tiny officer size gun, which is going to beat the crap out of you, then maybe a lighter bullet to help you along a little bit. But, uh, you know, and I guess in a nutshell, carry the largest, heaviest caliber you can control in rapid fire. And and what I'm talking about is you should be able to do half second splits. If you can do third second splits, that would even be better. I mean, uh, if, if you can walk out there and put four rounds on a target in two seconds, that's three, that's three rounds a second. Um, what I'm talking about is, you know, first round from ready in a second, one, two, three, the second set, you're good. Go practice something else. But you need to be able to do that when you're not in your perfect stance, when maybe there's a little postural problem because you've been moving and things like that. That's how to judge that. For for most people, that's going to be a nine millimeter pistol. Mm-hmm. Now, there's some diehard guys that 45s everything, and that's great. If you can control that. Go with the 45. Um, or, and and the, well, all people, oh, I need to change my 40. Why? If you shoot it well, keep your 40. It, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. This may not be all that important in the long run. What I'm talking about is how the bullet performs. It's more about how well you shoot under the duress of someone trying to kill you. Right. Yeah. And I, I would say that for the average person, using plus P loads is not helpful to them in shooting well. No. Right. You, know, you need to be able to control the recoil. I mean, yeah. uh, it, it, I mean, like the, the 124 gold dot plus P, the New York City load. Mm -hmm. I I can't blame any for carrying that, man. That thing has worked and worked and worked and worked well. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, well, don't get the plus P gold dot one twenty four. get the stand. No, get the one, you know, works. Right. right. But yeah, you're right. I mean, if you, unless the bullet requires the added velocity, why put up with the impulse? Yeah. Well, and what became clear to me in talking to some engineers from federal, in fact, was that, I mean, they can, engineer a bullet to perform and expand and penetrate that ideal, you know, 12 to 18 inches, really 14 to 16. Mm -hmm. They can engineer any bullet to do that for just about any velocity. It's about making, you know, that jacket thinner, heavier, lighter, you know, uh, deeper. Serrated, bonded. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so that's where it's like, well, you can get bullets that are standard pressure that are easier to shoot that are going to perform just fine, or you can get stuff that kicks a lot harder, you know, and, and is a little bit, you know, harder to control. So, uh, for me, I, I like that 147 grain HST load. That's, you know, it shoots well, it's controllable well, and it works. And it's extremely accurate. 
I mean, yes. if you're trying to do one of the drills I like to do, as you know, is I like to shoot three by five cards at 25 yards. That HST bullet and its training comparable, the 147 American Eagle, they'll do that. I can't say that about a lot of the 115 training loads, especially. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know, I, I like that. Now, in my 43, I use the 124. Yep. Yep. A l- just a little bit more velocity. Yeah, a little bit more yeah. velocity. And it's a bullet designed for a little bit longer barrel. Well, quite frankly, how Price, the, the national sales manager for Federal, told me, says, and, and, and Johan, I've had both of those guys in my classes. Mm-hmm. And they, they've told me 147, four inch barrel, longer, shorter, 124. And I kind of figure they know what they're talking about. Yeah. Now, Federal has engineered that 150 grain bullet HST that's, they advertise for micro guns. Yeah. And I don't really know much about it. Yeah. You know, I, I need to, I need to investigate that a little bit more, but I, I just haven't. Just, yeah. and, and again, it's one of those two, like, I, I suspect because their track record, especially that one with that HST bullet's pretty good. I suspect it's probably a pretty decent load, but it's one of those loads too that because it is somewhat specialized, it's not one we're probably going to see a lot of data on. And I'm not going to be anybody's guinea pig. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. I hear you. Even my good, even the, my good friends at Federal, I'm not going to be a guinea pig. Mm-hmm. I will yeah, say that if, if something you, better comes along, I'll I'll tell you about it. I just haven't seen anything better. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Cool. Well, this has been great, Dave. Uh, hopefully helpful for for folks watching and viewing. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I I would just like to see people use common sense, rely on data and real world, you know, reports and performance. And a lot of the average people don't necessarily have access to that information, but. You know, guys like you that have really been in the trenches working on this kind of stuff for years and years and years to the point, like you said, you, you've lost interest in it. <laughs> You're kind of done. But I appreciate you for being willing to come on the show and talk about it and share that wealth of knowledge and experience that you have earned very much so yourself, you know, with a lot of time and, and effort of your own, uh, you know, of your own part. So well, thank you. As we, as we part, can I share a little secret with your viewers and your listeners? Absolutely. We love secrets. Now, We'll keep this between us, right? <laughs> if you want the most effective bullet, go to the range and practice. <laughs> there you go. That's a great place to end it. Thank you, sir. That, that's a really good secret, but go spread that one wide, folks. <laughs> Break the internets. The best bullet is the one that you practice with. Can I, um, can I show this before you go? Mm-hmm. If you're thinking about trying to shoot the lock off something with a handgun bullet, <laughs> take a look at this. We'll uh, zoom probably, in on yours. That's probably what you're going to get. That's a, whoop, there we go. That's a 38 bullet a cop tried to shoot a lock off with. So just thought I'd share that just for, for information's sake. I'm guessing that lock stayed in place. Until I took it out. <laughs> I was the evidence technician. I took it out to, for evidence, so. Yeah. Can you tell us why he was trying to shoot the lock? Trying to get inside the house. It was uh, one of those calls where uh, um, something was going astray and they tried to kick the door and it didn't go. And so he had the idea from some movie to shoot the lock and that didn't work. So I, I think they finally ended up breaking and raking a window, which is what I would have thought of first, but <laughs> it happens. Yep. Um, 
Awesome. Well, folks, uh, this has been great. Uh, again, uh, go to handguncombatives.com. Uh, support Dave through his online store, through his training he's putting on. I mean, he's winding things down here. Uh, he's been talking about that for, for a couple of years and is following through on it. You've got fewer classes next year than you did this year. Fewer uh, classes than last year, this past year, and fewer classes next year. And then in 2021, I, I'm probably going to do six or eight classes. And that, that there's not going to be many. Right. So if, you, if you'd like to train with Dave, you, you've got limited opportunities to do so. And I would encourage it. I highly recommend him as an instructor, having gone through uh, your, uh, uh, what do we go through? Crap. The kinetic, uh, kinetic combat pistol. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to be in your adaptive combat pistol this next summer. So Same looking place. forward to that. That's right. right. Okay. So, and then uh, of course, Guardian Nation, guardianation.com, our other our other sponsor, <clears throat> appreciate you guys' support and making it possible to do what we do uh, every day and every week here at concealedcarry.com. So with that, it's going to be a wrap. We'll bid Dave adieu until wow. next time. And until then, train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everybody. reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.